my goal is happiness more than money. And I think like kind of reflecting on everything, the reason, one of the reasons I worked so hard is I always had a scarcity mindset. And now that I finally don't have to have that scarcity mindset, uh, it's all about, you know, having good time, a good time with my family, with my, my friends and making sure I'm actually enjoying the moment. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode 155. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing great. How you doing? Doing well. I heard you had a little, uh, you were just telling me right before we started recording here that you had a, a potential scam or someone trying to scam you this week, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the old, we're going to cut your power trick. And, uh, you know, it got pretty <laughs> intense there for a little bit. And then, and the, you know, the old green dot card and, and everything else. But I was, you know, it's crazy how much information this guy had about us and the account number and everything. I mean, was, these things are getting so sophisticated nowadays. And I think it's just a good reminder for everyone out there to, especially this time of year with election season and taxes and all sorts of things that, you know, be careful. 2020 too, you know, there's all these relief funds and hurricanes and all this kind of stuff. Just be very careful, you know, what information you give to people and what kind of uh, people are contacting you and what they're asking you and what they want you to do. And be very careful, you know, for, for you and your family and, and your personal life. There's lots of scam artists out there and they, they've gotten extremely sophisticated now. I mean, they run like some of these run like Fortune 500 companies, you know, it's not the old king from Jamaica trick anymore. I mean, these guys are, are real professionals at, at what they do. <laughs> the Nigerian prince. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> my, I was chatting with my grandma this week. She had one as well. She was on her computer and then something flashed up and she like couldn't access her computer. And then someone started typing to her basically like, hey, you're going to lose all your files unless you pay. Yeah, and yeah. Anyway, so she, you know, she was nervous and called the number and and then luckily as soon as they asked, I think they asked for payment or social or something and she was she was smart enough to realize but pretty scary. I mean, that's like bottom of the crop right there, right? People people trying to pick off old people that maybe aren't as educated on it or don't realize exactly what's going on, right? Giving people too much benefit of the doubt that they're nice and just trying to help out. So Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's a real thing. You know, these things are so sophisticated, so hard to track use all these burner phones, you know, sometimes they're outside the country and you just got to be very careful for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting story. Chatted with a couple of our listeners, a few of our listeners this week, one from abroad, a couple from the States here and, and found that super interesting. So I always love connecting with people. So if you're interested in connecting or interested in some multifamily investment opportunities or sponsor the show, our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, if you're interested in being on the show, we're always looking for new millionaires with different backgrounds, unique backgrounds and stories. I think everybody has something to share and, and each person finds something. One of the commonalities, and, and this is props to our millionaires, is when we talk to these people, they say, hey, I, I didn't think I would connect with this person right right away, but I always learn something from everybody. So I think a lot of us share that same sentiment that no matter the background, whether we disagree or agree or find commonalities in exactly what each of the millionaires are doing, I think there's good techniques and good ways of thinking to think about all of them. So, of course, we're appreciative to our millionaires who continue to come on and 
and really unveil their stories and share their allocations and, and really in a lot of detail. So we're thankful to them. So we're thankful to John this week. He has a net worth of $2.5 million. He's 36 years old, comes from a family with immigrant parents, and started working in a startup right after college. So interesting interview coming up today. Last week had an interview, uh, in- interesting episode, a little bit different. It was an episode rerun that we were interviewed on, on Doc G's Earn and Invest podcast that came out a couple months ago. So he interviewed us about what we have learned, what stood out to us, different takeaways from interviewing over 150 millionaires. So that was an interesting episode. We get asked that a lot. What are some of your takeaways? What stands out? You know, what surprised you? And so go take a listen to that. That was episode 154 if you're interested there. Fun stuff there. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Hope everybody is staying safe and healthy. Interesting time of the year coming up, especially with the election. So thanks for hanging with us. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy it, if you learn something, we appreciate you giving us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you listen to. So thanks again. And without any further delay, please help me welcome John to today's show. John, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? So yeah, I'm 36 years old. I'm currently sitting at 2.5 million in net worth. You've got some immigrant parents, is that correct? That's correct. So you're you're an immigrant, came to this country, you go through high school, you get started in college. How was your college experience? So college was great. College was the best time of my life. And if I could recreate that for the rest of my life, I would be very happy. I studied computer science. Uh, I knew that that was the, the field that I wanted to get into and a lot of opportunities. A lot of good companies were hiring for my school. Now, I think that was actually one of the first main curveballs that I, was, I received. When I graduated, I actually had six job offers. Five of them were from very, very large companies you know, Fortune 100 companies. And one of them was a small startup. And the the owner of that company gave me a little curveball. He was like, hey, do you want to be a cog in the machine or do you want to help me build this company and be the machine? So I talked to one of my advisors and I was like, this feels like a risk. Don't know if this is the right idea, but I'm kind of leaning towards this smaller company. Um, and all the salaries are about the same. So in my head, I was like, you know what? This probably isn't that big of a risk since I'm so young. Let me go ahead and just start out with this company. And just to give you guys a reference, I was making around 60000 to start out. And through with my parents. Um, and did you they, have any equity, John? Sorry to interrupt you. Did they give at, you equity in that? At this point, I had no equity. So this was just salary. Was the startup VC um, back? So f- it's not. It wasn't. It was completely bootstrapped, which was another reason that gave me a little bit more comfort. It was the, the owner of the company, the founder, had uh, 100% equity at this point. So pre revenue, or was it generating revenue at the point you joined? Oh, it was extremely profitable at the time I joined. Oh, okay, so it wasn't. Yeah. You weren't taking a massive risk. It was a for risk all in my head because. Yes, you're right. But at the time where the university kind of grooms you to work for these large companies, it felt like a risk. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, totally. But you're right. Looking back, it's like, no, this was very, very, this is the best thing for me to do, especially because a lot of those companies that gave me a job offer uh, ended up uh, filing for bankruptcy. But anyways. (laughs) That's ironic, right? Exactly. But anyways, I... um, uh, go, going back there, my my first year, you know, I was making sixty thousand. I was able to actually save more than half my income, and that was just something that my parents taught me. My goal was really to 
uh, buy a house because I thought I was going to get into uh, real estate because at that time I was scared of the stock market. I didn't understand it. So um, I ended up buying in 2008. I, I ended up buying a house in, in 2008 and that house uh, lost a lot of value right away. And I'm like, oh man, I just got burned. <laughs> uh, luckily, I have this job. What was uh, what was interesting was I really was putting a lot of hours and a lot of effort at that time. Um, I ended up getting a bonus for thirty thousand my first year, so I was making so I actually made ninety thousand the first year. And the way I kind of broke it down was wait, I just worked for one year and more or less saved to just brute force live for two years without working. So I knew I was on the right track. Um, I also had purchased the, the my first home at that point at that point um, that first home I had roommates as well that was generating additional income um, so that was all p- kind of part of my kind of part of my plan to become a millionaire so I think that was a big uh, takeaway like at that time that was one of my goals now within that first year of working I actually had a very uh, interesting question that was posed to me it was how much would it take for you to never have to work again? I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, well, okay. Well, if you have, um, if you have a certain amount saved up, you can withdraw 4% of that. And I was like, okay. And then looking back, like, okay, that's essentially explained the safe withdrawal rate. And at the time I was like, oh man, with a million dollars, I would never have to work again. You know, used to living like a college student. The, the the company was really taking off, but I was also seeing how much work uh, it was taking to uh, uh, to get things going and to um, and, and I guess how much uh, motivate, how, excuse me, how much uh, I had to actually invest in the company to uh, get things going. So what I mean by that is it wasn't a typical, you know, nine to five job. It was something that I was putting in 60, sometimes 80 hours uh, sometimes sleeping on the couch to support customers in Australia uh, as the company was expanding. But I always lived at pretty frugally and tried to live like a college student as long as I could. Um, and that allowed me to save up a good amount and actually saved up enough to pay off that first house in about four or five years. Uh, now, after doing that, we moved to a different place and I kept that first house as a rental, generating additional income. Uh, one of the things that I really tried to stick to was uh, always uh, saving half of my income. Uh, I didn't have access to a 401k in the beginning, but by the time I did have access to it, uh, that was when I started to find a lot of the personal finance bloggers online and kind of seeing how they were uh, breaking down, you know, saving or maxing out the 401k and saving a good amount. And that's really what I kind of uh, did ever since I could is max out the 401k and the, uh, whatever was left over of that save at least, uh, half of the post-tax, uh, mm-hmm. income after that. And that made it easy, especially with, uh, by the time, uh, we were, my, my wife and I got married, it was never thinking about, okay, we have both of our incomes. How much can we spend? It was, okay, so your income is going to be saved hundred percent and we're going to live off of just this amount. That so was, let me, John. Sure. Let me just ask you about your house because I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's really interesting. So you take this job, you start working, you start working, you're making about sixty thousand. You said you decide to buy a house. How much was it? It was about one hundred eighty thousand. 
And this was before you were married, right? Correct. So you put, did you put down 20% and you had that money just from, just from saving up? Yeah, I, I guess I had, uh, I had money to put down for the down payment through, um, an internship while I was going to school. Awesome. And then, yeah, you also shared with us that you graduated debt free, right? That's correct. My, my parents would not let me get any sort of student loans. They forced me to figure out a way to go to college, um, without taking on any sort of debt. So I think that was a a key driver too. Uh, actually going back to all the way to when I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old, like anytime I got any sort of money, my, my father told me, Hey, if you can, you can spend this now, or you can put it in the bank and I will double what you, uh, what you put Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. So I always had that 50% mindset. Now, what I didn't know is how much more that money could grow with the stock market, (laughs) which I eventually figured out. How old were you when you first started buying stocks? So I made the mistake uh, during my first and second year of that I think most people did is, you know, I bought stock based on what my coworkers were doing. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, these guys are older than me. They're smarter than me. Uh, they're, they're engineers. So they, they know what they're doing. So I just kind of blindly picked some uh, some winners, mostly losers. Uh, and that really wasn't the smart thing to do. So yeah. kind of getting burned a little bit made me lean more towards real estate. But I think like the more the more research I did and the more that I looked into, um, the, uh, I guess, the, the personal finance bloggers, what they are, what they were doing, what they're preaching. I was like, OK, this makes sense to me. This doesn't feel like a like a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme, whatever. Someone's not trying to make money off of my decision here. Let me go ahead and uh, go more to more towards the strategy that these these people are doing. Mm-hmm. So did the house come that did this first house come after you started buying stocks or before? I guess probably around the same time. Around the same was, time. Yeah, because it was uh, six months after after graduating. That's when I actually went and purchased the property. So I actually wanted to purchase a property before I graduated because I was like, hey, dad, let's buy this place and I'll rent out the other three rooms to roommates and they're going to pay the mortgage. Like, help me help me buy this. That's pretty right. amazing that you had that, <laughs> that mindset at, at, in your young 20s. Yeah, I, I, my both my parents worked for a bank, so I always understood mortgages and they also lived without any sort of uh, mortgage debt. So that was always uh, preached to us. That was, I, I guess the other, the other way to think of it is my parents always said that the home was their best investment. Well, it was really their only investment. <laughs> so... That's kind of that was the only way that I saw how rich people got rich is through real estate and not having multiple multiple homes. So is is this home? Is this one you're still in, or did you end up selling it? So I kept that home. The, I kept the first home, bought a second house, paid off that house within five years as well, um, while both properties were appre- appreciating. Wow! And during that time, I was also uh, investing in the market and. One of my coworkers, uh, he's the one that really egged me on. He was just like, hey, how much are you – or he, he wanted to get into real estate. He's like, how much are you getting for your property? So I break down and explain like how much the, the mortgage or how much the rent is and, and how much how much I paid for the property and whatnot. He's like, oh, I'm going to stick to index funds. I make more with that. <laughs> so that really egged me on. I, I started putting more money into that. And then I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm tired of the, the headache from the rentals that I sold uh, the first property 
and plowed all the money into into index funds and kind of stuck with stuck with it that way. Uh, and how much, if you're comfortable sharing, how much did you did you make on the sale of the first house? The first house I made, I think around sixty thousand. And then just in net after five years, I think it was close to eighty thousand in rent. The 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 second home is the one that appreciated a lot more because I had purchased that one for two hundred and seventy, and that was at the very bottom of the market. And I think it was a two thousand twelve ish, and that appreciated up to four forty. Wow! So wow. in total, it's it was about uh, four hundred thousand in gains through. In gross gains in the appreciation and and rent. Now I ended up selling both those properties to live to, to purchase the house that we have now. That one I purchased for seven hundred thousand, but just got assessed for eight hundred thousand. Well, good for you. And do you have a mortgage on that? No, no mortgage. I bought that in in cash. When the the builder came and uh, was showing me the house, he kind of was like looking me, sizing me up. He was kind of saying, "So what do you do?" because <laughs> part of my negotiation part of my negotiation was telling the the realtor that I was going to pay cash for this property didn't really knock too much off as as much as I wanted but whatever right. right so john just give us a kind of a big picture of your portfolio how are how are you invested is most of it in index funds now obviously you just said you have the 7 or 800,000 in your house but your net worth is is what and how is it invested Sure. Uh, net worth is uh, 2.5 right now. Uh, 800 of that is in the house, uh, 400 in retirement accounts, and the rest is in a brokerage account. And in in the brokerage account and the uh, retirement accounts, it's all in VTI. Awesome. So, John, if somebody were starting out just like you did, they're about to graduate college, debt or no debt, would you advise them to try to join a company that's maybe smaller in a startup phase like you did? Uh, completely. I think I think the closer you are to uh, the owner of the company, I think the best thing you can do is start your own business. Then you're in complete control. The next best thing is to join a company that you are you know the owner and you know that your hard work can help fuel the growth of the company. I think that's great advice. So, John, you've got this great portfolio built up. You've kind of enjoyed some time off here. You let us know that, that that you're doing some things a little bit differently than you've done in the past in terms of slowing down. And, and obviously, we're in the midst of, of a global pandemic, so we're all forced to slow down to some degree. But where do you go from here? I don't have a target net worth or passive income goal right now. Uh, I think the I think right now I'm I'm still involved with a few startups. Uh, to help uh, help them kind of grow. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, my goal right now is to kind of get bored. I'm in the best shape of my adult life, which is amazing. And I'm actually being, I'm actually have time to spend with my my daughter. That has been, that has been amazing. Do you anticipate changing your investment allocation at all? Probably, to be honest. And how After, so? I think this uh, this pandemic, how do I say I think this, this pandemic might have scarred me or how do I say this? I think this pandemic might have um, changed my outlook on com- being completely buy and hold. And this may be this may be the wrong thing to say, but I feel like I should have sold the stock, even though everyone says not to. And I should have kept more money um, in cash. Uh, but I don't know if that's 
if that's hindsight speaking or a, if this were to happen again, I probably wouldn't do that. It might be a little too early to to really say I'll eventually buy, I'll eventually have more bonds. But at this moment, I don't care to have any. Yeah. Do, do you anticipate buying additional real estate down the road? Yeah, it's interesting because at the time, I think real estate was kind of becoming a headache or owning the rental was become, becoming a headache because uh, I was so focused on work and my career. But now that I have more time, I do see it happening. But the issue is I just everything that I see just seems way too overpriced uh, that I don't see uh, myself getting into real estate uh, at the moment, but uh, potentially down the line. And I'm sorry if I missed it. Do you have a target net worth you're trying to reach at some point in the future? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't have a target net worth. I think my wife and I were so uh, work hungry. We're definitely workaholics that right now my goal is happiness more than money. And I think like kind of reflecting on everything, the reason one of the reasons I worked so hard is I always had a scarcity mindset. And now that I finally don't have to have that scarcity mindset, uh, it's all about, you know, having good time, a good time with my family, with my my friends and making sure I'm actually enjoying the moment. So I don't really have a an actual target number, but I just know that that money will continue to that money that we have will continue to grow. So that scarcity mindset, John, when did that change for you? When when did you say, hey, I have enough or I'm not worried anymore financially? When did that that switch go off? That switch went off when back in 2019 when I stopped working and I actually had time to think. At that point, I knew that what we had in the bank withdrawing 4% a year would be more than enough to sustain myself and my family. Uh, and on top on top of that, I knew I would still event I would still work and my wife is still working. So with all, with that, I knew uh, I was finally good. Gotcha. Understood. And in terms of if when people retire, we're always curious about insurance. Are you on your wife's insurance? Does her job offer that? Yeah. Yeah. So she started her own. Uh, my wife started her own company. So through that company, that's providing uh, insurance for the family. Okay, gotcha. I just know that's sometimes a question for people that stop working a little bit younger. Um, you, you mentioned happiness being the goal, right? W- what is that for you? What is happiness to you? Happiness is being completely stress-free and doing what you want to do. So I think the the, the big the big difference was when I, when I was working, my daughter was the first to be dropped off at daycare and the last to be picked up. And we had just enough time to scarf down food as fast as we could and then put her to bed you know now i have the time and the freedom to do whatever i want we uh, after i stopped working we we took a little break and spent over a month in in europe and i just remember pushing her on a swing in the middle of madrid just thinking you know this trip would not have would not be enjoyable if i was working because i would want to be i would i'd be rushing to do everything as fast as i could i would uh i would be constantly checking my work email constantly thinking about work, you know, but this allowed me just to just enjoy the moment with my my wife and and daughter. Totally. So let me ask you about that, because earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you worked a lot, right? 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week. Do you regret that at all? Or are you happy you did it because it got you to where you are now? Yeah, I think it's all about calculated risks. Like it's very easy to know uh, how well a company is doing when you're you're working there. 
and you see how fast it's growing. And when you get a when you get equity in the company, you know that you own a piece of it. So it, it's not something that would be it would be something that would be very difficult to do in my 30s and 40s. But when I was young and didn't have too many obligations, it was very it was a very easy thing to do. Yeah. So you sound pretty young. How did you build up the net worth so quickly? Obviously, you had some good fortune through investing. You had some good real estate turnouts. Did you end up getting a piece of equity at the company and there was a sale or? Uh, yes. Um, I, I think I had two different, there were two different sale events where I received a, a large payout. But I think uh, frugality and saving and investing half my income, I hit uh, a million net worth just through that, but then through the stock option payouts, that's what really uh, escalated and got me to to where I'm at. Yeah. How old were think, you? Do you remember? Sorry, go ahead. I, th- I think, uh, sorry, I think a really interesting point, uh, a really interesting number is actually our net worth is equal to the sum of our after-tax income. If Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So it really showed the, you know, it didn't matter what I, or it really showed the power of investing because, okay, I spent money to live, obviously, but that may, it was made up uh, by the market. But yeah, I, I was 32 when I hit a million. And then wow. 30, 35 is when I crossed 2 million. Wow, that's incredible. So you hit your second million in, in three years, although you did have that payout, right? Correct. So what what mistakes have you made, John? Or what would you advise to somebody? I know Jace asked about coming out of school and if you would take a job at at a startup and maybe a company that's not as established, but what mistakes have you made? What would you advise to people coming out of school in general? Should they jump into the market? Should they try and buy their first home like you did and rent it out? What's, what's your financial advice to somebody in a similar situation to you? Well, it's kind of funny. Um, I actually advise people not to buy real estate because there are so many people out there that are trying to get you into a home and most of them are usually realtors and they have a, <laughs> a vested interest into, for you, into you buying a house. Um, I think it, it, it locks you in. Unless you're married and have kids and want to have roots, uh, I think you're better off renting. And I can, say, I can tell you when I bought my third place compared to my first one, I spend a lot more on the third place, you know, on, on maintenance, on uh, landscaping and all that. So it, it, there are a lot of hidden expenses when you buy an actual detached property, gotcha. I think um, gotcha. I, I think the other other thing I always tell people is to really understand what they're spending money on and what they value. I guess like like people will will spend you know five hundred dollars a month on a, a pet, for example. And it's like, do you realize how much that's going to cost you in ten years? Because a lot of people don't actually do those calculations. They don't think of it that way. They the other thing I always uh, strive to tell people is um, to live within your means and not uh, be careful about lifestyle inflation because I'm, I'm guilty of just like everyone else. But that is something that gets it's much harder to do when you're in your 30s and 40s compared to when you're in your 20s. It's much easier to live like a college student and blend in with the the other grad students when you're 24 <laughs> compared to when you're you're 32. It gets a little bit weird when you're 32 living like a college student. It's it's your your story is pretty amazing, John, right? You got to admit your mid 30s, your net worth of of two and a half million dollars. I mean, are, are you going to go back to work? 
Are you, do you want to work? I mean, it's it's remarkable, right? I mean, your net worth is obviously going to continue to grow. Your market investments are going to continue to grow. So you'll easily, you know, you'll easily reach five million or something if you do nothing. Yeah, I think I think at this point, um, at this point, I I think it's pretty safe to say I'll never be a W two employee, but I will start my own business or I'll be a, or I'll consult on a project basis. Now I am sitting on the board of one of my friends' companies to help him help him get that off the ground because that's fun for me but i think another important thing is having both uh, both parents work was very difficult for us um so i'm happy to kind of pass the baton to my wife and let her get her company off the ground while i i take care of our our kids yeah so so we normally ask this to all of our guests and i'm especially curious on your answer because you're so so much younger or very young i guess do your friends and family know that of your net worth and your wealth they're not so much they know about uh, my wealth but not my not not the actual numbers so they know um, you, you've done well but don't know necessarily how much exactly i would i would rather people know than you know five years later they kind of say hey i'm in this bad spot why didn't you tell me about the or you knew about this five years ago why didn't you tell me about this you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i do uh, I do try to be a, I, I, I try to be an example to uh, my friends and family, and many many friends and family have asked for advice. And I'm happy to to talk to them about it. Sure. Have people treated you differently at all as as they've found out that you've been successful? No, not at all. Okay. That has. I remember. I remember, Jace, we interviewed somebody at the beginning of the show, right? And and he said yes to that, right? When he when he bought a Tesla or something, yep. he said people started really treating me different. Hey, yep. there's nothing wrong with a Tesla. <laughs> no, I'm 100% I, I agree, agree man. man. I love those things. No, that was my guilty my guilty pleasure, my guilty spend. Oh, you have one? Yes. Oh, very nice. Uh, it was used, but it's still awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's worth spending money on to you, John? Oh, definitely travel and experiences. And and what's not worth it? What's not worth it? Anything that uh, depreciates and loses. Anything that depreciates or has a a monthly fee to it. I don't Tesla, know why Tesla depreciates, man. Tesla depreciates, but it is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, unless it's awesome, there's an enjoyment yeah. factor there. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the thing about thing about the tesla is uh it's it's a software guy's car right and and the maintenance is lower and it's it's more than just a car you know it's it's the future and i'm honestly hoping it's the last car i ever buy right like i just what model do you have i have a model the model s okay um you have no personal debt is that is that accurate to say maybe credit card here and there but nothing big um, I have never had debt other than a mortgage, and the most I've carried a mortgage has been five years. Okay. So I'm I'm adamant on that. Like I will not be in any debt in any, for any reason. I actually do uh, churn credit cards though. <laughs> and someone asked me like, "Well, is that going to affect your credit score?" I'm like, "I don't care about my credit score." <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't need it. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to, right? Not like you necessarily need the points at two and a half million dollars, but it's just fun for you. Well, I think I think we travel a lot. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. How often do you travel now? Well, not uh, to from my living room to my dining room. <laughs> no, um, we try to do something internationally uh, at least once a year. 
Okay, very cool. Yeah, I have I have family abroad, so it's important to stay connected there. Awesome. So you mentioned just a couple more questions here. You mentioned at the beginning you spoke to an advisor about which job to take. Mm-hmm. Ha- have advisors or books or podcasts or what's kind of played a role into helping you grow as a person? Has has it been any of those things? So I think that the two books that resonated the most early on was or were, were um, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad and The Millionaire Next Door. Recent podcasts, I'd say, or a recent book would be A Simple Path to Wealth. That was a very a very good book to kind of put it all in a nice package, a nice bow. Uh, definitely enjoyed that one. Okay, awesome. Um, and, and then just to, just to wrap up, I'm just curious. We had a, a, a listener question come in, curious about insurance. What do you do about life insurance, disability? I mean, do you have life insurance right now with a net worth of two and a half? I do not have life insurance the way I kind of see it is if I were to pass away today, there's plenty of money in the bank that would have been the equivalent value of a life insurance policy. Right. So right. I, I don't see a need for uh, for any sort of insurance. Awesome. Thanks for answering. I appreciate it. And so does the listener who wrote in. So thanks again, John, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Net worth of two and a half million. Appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.